First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Everybody, episode 700 of First Class Fatherhood. I am honored, as always, to be here with you guys. And wow, what a milestone. 700 episodes last month. We just passed the fifth year anniversary of First Class Fatherhood. I can't say thank you enough to all of you listeners out there for making this possible. And one guy I really owe a lot of the success of this podcast to is joining me today for the 700th episode. Dean Kane is returning to the podcast here. I first had Dean Kane on the show on episode 47, and the show really skyrocketed when he came on the podcast and promoted his episode on his Twitter feed and on social media. Podcast went to number one on the iTunes charts for kids and family, and I have been blessed to interview so many amazing dads uh, from that moment, but I really do owe so much of the success to Dean Kane. He was the first celebrity to take a chance and come on a little-known podcast and really just shared an amazing story about his fatherhood journey. And if you know anything about Dean Kane, you know he's a father first and foremost before anything. Dean Kane, of course, very well known for being the actor who portrayed Superman on uh, Lois and Clark. Also, you remember him from way back, Beverly Hills 90210. My personal favorite movie that Dean Kane stars in is Out of Time. He plays the bad guy. He plays it to perfection. I really love the role, the character he played in Out of Time, co-starring alongside Denzel Washington. And Dean was a hell of a football player at Princeton back in the day. He set the uh, season record for interceptions with 12. That interception record stood for almost 13 years or something before somebody finally tied it. It hasn't been broken, but it's been tied. And Dean also stars in the movie that I've been harping about here on the podcast, Miracle at Manchester. He plays the doctor in the film. The movie is based on Richard and Bryson Newman. I just had them on the podcast. So if you want to hear my interviews with them, just flip it back one and take a listen. Dean will be directing a film. I, don't, I think it's his directorial debut, Little Angels, that's going to be released later this year. I haven't had the honor of meeting Dean in person. Someday we're going to make that happen, but I've definitely developed a friendship with Dean over the years here. As a matter of fact, last year when I was out in L.A. to cover the Super Bowl media day, uh, I, I was looking for a cigar spot to go to to have a cigar after I was done with the media day. So I text Dean. He wasn't in town, so I couldn't connect with him. Uh, but I asked him for a good spot to go and sit down and have a cigar. He put me onto this one spot, told me, hey, go in there. Uh, tell him you know me. I went in there. They gave me the works. I ended up meeting a guy in there, Pastor Rob. We had a great conversation all about the podcast. The conversation went so great. Uh, when we were done, the guy ordered me a limo to take me to LAX so I can get back to Jersey here. Uh, so Dean has been nothing but a blessing to me and to this podcast. So I'm so honored to welcome him back here uh, to the podcast for the three-peat. Had Dean Kane back on in episode 47. He came back in episode 368. And here he is now again, episode 700. Also, another monumental event happened this day, one year ago today, and that was the book launch, First Class Fatherhood, Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads. The book came out April 12th, 2022, featuring so many of the dads you've heard right here on the podcast. It's amazing that that's been a year already. It felt like it took forever for the book to get here now. It's been out there for a year. I've got some tremendous feedback from the book. If you haven't gotten your copy, hit the link in the description of today's podcast episode to get one for yourself. I know Father's Day is coming around the corner. Be here before you know it. The book includes so much of the advice and wisdom that was dished out here on the podcast from the first 250 guests or so on the podcast, including Dean Kane himself. Dean Kane will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Dean Kane was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between the super dad, Superman, and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and if you happen to be new to the podcast here, welcome to the show. We're 700 episodes, five years into this. It started from the foot of my bed with just an idea about putting this message out there about fatherhood, about family life, and from the little acorn grew the mighty oak. I have been so blessed to have so many amazing dads join me on the podcast here, 700 episodes, uh, including a couple of guys that have been here more than once. Two-time guests on the podcast include Tony Hawk, the legendary skateboarder, uh, Kurt Warner, the NFL Hall of Famer, Eric Trump, President Donald Trump's son, Matt Roloff, the reality show star of Little People, Big World, who I've also become very good friends with over the years. Please take a minute to go through the archives of the show. Uh, some of the best interviews I've done on this podcast include those with uh, Deion Sanders and Tom Brady, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, 
uh, politicians like uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Ted Cruz, uh, legendary weatherman Al Roker, uh, Deepak Chopra, Navy SEALs Jocko Willink, Marcus Luttrell, Seinfeld's Jason Alexander, comedian Howie Mandel, legendary singer Donny Osmond. So many others have stopped by the podcast and really uh, wouldn't have been possible without you, the listener out there, and certainly wouldn't have been possible without Dean Kane helping to put this podcast on the map. So I encourage you to go through the list of the episodes here. You'll definitely find a dad that you're interested in listening to. And make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the upcoming guest announcements as we start our climb to 800 beginning on Friday. Don't forget about the MyPillow deal up to 80% off over on MyPillow.com. Use the promo code fatherhood you can save up to 80 percent. mike's has the blowout sale the spring cleaning it's still going on right now take advantage of it while you still can mypillow.com use the promo code fatherhood and as so many of you guys have done out there already please help me spread the word of this podcast every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life you guys know it every day is father's day right here on the podcast and here comes my interview straight up episode 700 with dean kane on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Dean Kane. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. I, I, fatherhood is the, it's, it's the first thing on my mind. It's like, it's the first thing I say I am as a father. So uh, I'm honored to be here and congratulations to you for all your success. You've gone massive. Well, you, you know, lucky. I... I'm lucky you're having me on now. Yeah, well, I'm lucky to have you. You know I owe it all to you. I really do. I mean, I had you on here, episode 47. I'm up to 700 now. It's hard to believe, but uh, what an incredible ride it's been. And it really, really started when I had you on, episode 47. And, and just to start it off here, uh, what, what did you think? Uh, I mean, Princeton had this unbelievable, unbelievable run, knocking off Arizona and then Missouri. Uh, what, what was your thoughts on all that? You know, the, the truth is, once they beat Arizona... That's a number two seed. You can beat anybody at that point in time. And they look great against Missouri, and they, they could have beat Creighton. They should have. Uh, they were up. They could have beat Creighton, and they could be in the Final Four right now. I mean, it's very it's, – it's entirely possible. Great run. You know, um, Mitch Henderson, who's the coach, was, uh, was part of that 96 team that beat UCLA. Uh, I was watching that game uh, at my house with, a, like, three UCLA alums. And uh, when, we, when we scored on that back door and won that thing – uh, I jumped up in the air and split my pants. I was wearing a suit at the time, uh, and I split my pants, um, but it was worth it 100%. And so I was just as excited for these guys. It was amazing. And I'm sure, too, like for the fans, for you guys, for everybody, it was a, a big deal, even though that they, they didn't make it to the Final Four. For the players, it had to be so crushing that they got right there, and and, uh, and they were up, like you said, in the game. And, and could have, it was big where I am here in, in New Jersey. We had them and also had um, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, which that made was, an um, one of the biggest upsets in history there. So it was a, a big moment for Jersey here in the NCAA. Giant, giant one. And, you know, the, the truth is people don't realize also about Princeton, no athletic scholarships, none. So you got a bunch of real student athletes out there with no, no scholarships doing their thing. And I think had they gone one more level up, that would have been something that people sort of focused on a little more. Yeah, incredible run. Let me give you an update here on your son, Chris. Now, is he out of college? Was he 22 years old? What's the update he's, on him? What's he up to? <laughs> he's 22 years old. So he took a gap year before he started. So he is now a couple months away from finishing. He's a couple months away from graduating. He graduates May 6th. So he'll be done. And uh, he's been accepted to grad school um, there. They have a one-year uh, master's program for business uh, – for what is it? Communications and business leadership. Um and for now, that's his plan, although uh, I can see he's kind of waffling one way or the other. He's not sure. He's ready to get out in the world. We'll see what he decides. But uh, um, he's had a great experience there. He's a grown man now, um, and it's, you know, it's a process. It's always a process. He's got his ups. He's got his downs. He gets in a little bit of mayhem, and then he's out of it, and then he's working on You know, it's just it's, that's, that's life. But he's uh, – we've been talking this morning already. He's my favorite person in the world still, and um, there's nobody I'd rather spend my time with. Yeah, and I remember you talking to me one time about uh, overhearing a conversation about him and his job and his uh, employer talking about him as a worker. And it, it, just a couple of months ago, my two older sons are working now, and uh, I had a chance to, when I was getting my uh, my second son, 
a job at ShopRite where my older guy works. And he was putting in the application. I said, yeah, this is my son, Chris's brother. And they were like, they had nothing but great things to say about Chris. And they started telling me about him. And I was, it was so, like, I remembered you uh, talking about that. And it was, it was so awesome to hear other people talking about, you know, your son in a work environment, their work ethic and stuff. It really, really means a lot when you hear it from other people like that. It makes your heart just swell and you go back. He's going to be okay in this world. And I love that. And it's wonderful. I mean, when my son and I walked into at this restaurant where he worked, we were going to pick up some pizzas for his for my niece's birthday party. They treated him like he was Norm from Cheers. Hey, where's the there? You know, hugs and things. I was like, what? I mean, I worked at a restaurant. Nobody treated me that way when I came in. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I really wanted to get you on here because uh, I, I just watched the screening of uh, Miracle at Manchester, just did the interview with Eddie McClintock, and I'm, I'm setting up an interview with the real life uh, father and son, and I, I really think that the story, I mean, it's everything that I talk about, Dean. It's every, Everything is included in that film. Faith, fatherhood, family, it's so, it's so important. What did you? Were you familiar with the story beforehand? How did you get involved in the film, and what was your thought about the whole thing? I was familiar with the story only because of the film, but then I went and looked at the story and watched all the things and saw news stories on it and such. And, um, you know, when you involve family and sports and life or death issues and, and then everyone getting together, and I don't want to give away anything from the film, but it's the kind of thing like from It's a Wonderful Life, when everybody sort of steps up for you and does that in the community, it's one of those things that makes my heart just – just, I mean, I mean, tears are an easy thing to do um, for this film. Um, it's a wonderful story. As a parent, I can't imagine being in the position um, the, uh, as a parent watching your child be in that situation. Uh, incredible. And, I, and the story is a great story of triumph. So um, it's the kind of film that, uh, that I'm very excited to be a part of. I work with, J, uh, with JC Films quite a bit. They do a lot of faith-based content. Um, some much more, you know, in-your-face faith than others and but i think the ones that are most effective are the other ones that don't have it they're not preaching to you you're getting it but you're not being preached to and here when everybody sort of comes together to pray for this kid there's nothing else they can do that's the final and last resort um so it's extremely moving eddie i don't know how personal eddie got with you but he had he'd been going through some personal things at the time and uh boy eddie eddie puts it out there on the screen and he did a great job as a director yeah, and he told me that his father passed during the filming of this, and I, that's why I say it's 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 got to be just as an actor to be involved in a film like this. You have a son, Eddie's got two sons, and and you're dealing with something that it's beyond all of this stuff that we see on Twitter and Instagram and social media. All of that goes out the window, and and the scene like you're talking about when they're praying over this kid, uh, so much reminded me of what we saw with Demar Hamlin. Uh, when he dropped on the field, I know you're a Buffalo guy, uh, but when we saw that, it was like all of a sudden, all of that, all that nonsense all went out the window. Everybody dropped to their knee and was praying to God for DeMar, reminding me so much of that story with this kid. Yeah, incredible. I didn't want to bring that up, but 100 percent, that's exactly exactly what happened. I mean, for the kid, it happened in a much slower situation because of they didn't know what was wrong with him at first. For DeMar, it was shocking. I mean, they and even, you know everybody getting together, everybody praying. There was nothing else to do. There's nothing else you can do. Um, you don't see, you know, you see injuries all the time on the football field and you're used to it. I've seen my, you know, I've seen legs turned this way, that way, bones sticking out, fingers, arms, all that sort of stuff. And you feel for the guy and talk to him. Um, I've been the guy sometimes too, um, but you don't see someone having to get uh, CPR done to stay alive. And so that changed everything for those guys right then and there. And it was one of the most powerful things uh, I've witnessed in forever. And uh, God bless DeMar and the fact that he had pulled through. And uh, I loved it because it was a moment of, um, I love the, the together. I didn't love what happened, obviously, but I love the togetherness because it was a moment of faith. And, you know, there's those moments and you can talk about it and so on and so forth. And you can talk about faith and things like that. But when that moment hits, that's all you have to turn to. It is incredibly powerful. So that it's very similar um, in that sense. Um, obviously, it's a movie, so we can ramp it up and, and show the things. But when everybody gets everybody gets together for you, there's something to that. And I'll, I'll, what I found uh, fascinating or interesting, I should say, when I was at the Super Bowl this year, I was talking to uh, the Chiefs kicker Harrison Bucker, and he's a very what a very name, huh? Isn't that a great name, though. 
Yeah, I know. I know. Especially for a kicker. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he, he was, you know, he's obviously, he's a very faith-based guy. And he brought up to me, he said, you know, when that, when the DeMar Hamlin thing happened, immediately it was pray for DeMar. That was the hashtag. That was the slogan. And somehow it got changed to love for DeMar. They removed the prayer part of that out of it. Uh, and that became the hashtag. That became the t-shirt. Instead of pray for DeMar, it became love for DeMar. And even though when you saw the overwhelming response, they still found a way uh, to remove And I hadn't really noticed that until he pointed it out to me i didn't notice that at all i thought pray for tomorrow was it i didn't see them change the hashtag or i didn't see any of that stuff happen uh and and i wouldn't have been a, i wouldn't have been along for the change and if you know anything about me i'm not a follower i will <laughs> i will i will stand my ground and and i'll i'll call it like i see it and, and the only thing that those players did was pray there's nothing else they could do there was love but they prayed and that means something yeah, and it was powerful, like you said. And getting back to the film there, uh, Miracle at Manchester, did you – I know Eddie did. He was telling me that the the, the real dad, uh, Richard Newman, was taking him to work. He spent a lot of time with him. Did you get a chance to be around Richard and Bryson during this film? Richard, yes. Bryson, no. Um, I was able to see the dad and talk to him a bit, and I just wanted to hug him. You know what I mean? It's just like that – know what you went through that. Woo! Um, but I didn't get a chance to see Bryson, so that was a bummer. But, uh, but I – you know – Obviously, I knew the whole story, and I watched all news reports on it, and uh, it's just it's just incredible. But I, I didn't get a chance. You're going to get a chance to speak with him, so uh, he's not afraid to talk. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that's good for me. But I, I, I do know that uh, it, it's so amazing how uh, these themes like this, uh, fatherhood, family, faith, It's it, I don't know why it can't seem to like uh, just take off on the mainstream side of this. Why there's such a, a need for it in, in our country right now, more so than anything else. And that's why it's awesome to see these kind of films. I know Pure Flex will be streaming this film, and, and I'm so happy to see it. But I don't know how you or like Eddie as actors, like I, I know. I remember seeing you do that God's uh, God's Gosnell movie uh, yeah. with, with, with that. Like, how do you how do you not get so physically attached? Being a father, a family man, and and, and going through those things, you were able to like compartmentalize this and just cut it off. I guess that comes second nature to you, or do you, does it affect you personally? Well, sometimes it affects you. <clears throat> There's no doubt about it. Depending, you know, sometimes it can mimic what's going on in your life. There's things that that are the same, and so as an actor, I mean, like the, the Eddie's father passing. You know, he had to play a father who was worried about his kid. There were times where Eddie broke down during film. We had to just wait while he went through it. Like he was doing it on camera and we cut or, you know, and then, but he's still going. And we had to just give him his time to do that and grieve and um, go through his, you know, his emotions and his process. So sometimes you can, it helps you as an actor in a weird way. Um, but it's uh, making those kind of films, you know, Twitter will blow you up. Oh my God, you make those fake films. You suck. Right. You can't do anything else. Like, but that's yeah. who you're going to attack me for making faith films and feel good films and things that try to, to, to put out positive messages. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I don't, I don't do those things for the money. I do them for the change in the culture. There's not a lot of money in those things. Um, I wish that Hollywood would do that. And I think that there will be a time where it will happen. You got a lot of guys, you got guys like Mark Wahlberg, Chris Pratt, who are very open about their faith and want to discuss those things that things that really appeal to, I think most, most people without, without a doubt. So, I, I believe that will come about. I mean, you know, The Passion of the Christ is one of the biggest movies of all time, and I think Mel is working on The Resurrection of the Christ now, too. So we'll see if that happens. And I think, you know, there's a real place for that in mainstream filmmaking. I would love that Pure Flix does what they do. Uh, I'm on, obviously, a number of those films there. God's Not Dead was sort of the movie that made, helped make Pure Flix, which I was very proud to be a part of. Um, and it's amazing to me. I go to Comic-Con. And it's amazing to me at the number of people who will bring up God's not dead. It's, it's, it's actually very, it's a very positive thing. It makes me feel a sense of, you know, getting the message out there to people, whether or not it's the number one at the box office, which obviously it's not. Um, it's wonderful to see those films affect people and have them tell you how much it affected them. Yeah. And I had David Wright on the show here too, talking about all that. He was really David's great. not afraid to talk either. Yeah. I, I noticed that. <laughs> uh, but it is good and it is cool that I said now I did ask Eddie this about how it was to direct Dean Cain so I gotta ask you here what was it like to be directed by Eddie how did oh, he do I, I, I ignored him completely like I didn't care what he said though Eddie was great you know he was you know he was his first directorial debut so he was trying to get it together and you know you know he was he was he was searching through it I, I had made my directorial debut for a feature film you know about a year ago for a film that's going to come out soon little angels thank god we're about to get a deal 
Um, so I'm really excited for that to get out there. We can talk about that another time. But uh, he did a great job. Eddie knows what he's doing. He's been on set. When you do a series like, you know, I did for Lois and Clark or he did for Warehouse 13 or other things, you end up – you have to become – proficient at everything you have to know what's going on because there's no time for all that dilly-dally you have to know how to hit your hit your mark you have to understand the whole arc of the the season and that's all storytelling so these are people who you know people who've done series for three four five years they're people i love to work with because they're total pros and eddie's a total pro yeah, very well said, Dina. And just switching gears here, I know that we, they recently passed this Parents' Bill of Rights uh, through the House, which I was glad to see. And I, I don't understand the pushback on this and, and the way that they try to uh, pivot. And I couldn't believe how many people voted against this. And it just me, like I have two two kids in high school and I have two in grade school now. And in, in where I am in, in Jersey, they are very much pushing this whole sexual orientation and, and gender identity into the the young classroom, the kindergarten, first, second grade, and it's mind-boggling that more parents would would be against it. And I don't, I don't, I don't know any parents either. No matter what way they vote, uh, I don't find any parents that agree that it's a good idea to bring this stuff in the classroom. So I don't know why there was such a, a pushback about this. But what was your take on the Parent Bill of Rights? <laughs> the parent, just the fact that we have to have a Parent Bill of Rights blows me away. But I remember my son being in a, a class, um, you know. He was a little, not disruptive, but he wasn't really paying attention. He was daydreaming, you know, like little boys do. And they took him and wanted to put him in this, like, you know, this resource or something like that where he had a certain teacher. No offense to her, but I didn't agree with it. I didn't like her. I was watching his progress. I was watching, and I was like, A, he didn't like her that much, and B, she wasn't doing much. So I yanked him. You know, I was a, I, I knew every parent. I mean, I, and I knew every teacher. I knew all the administrators because my son goes there. So uh, the idea that there has to be a parent bill of rights is insane. The idea that, you know, when I hear people say, you know, oh, I've got a, I've got a master's degree and I don't want to have parents telling me what to do. You're out of your mind. That is not how it works. Parents have the ultimate say, and they should, unless they're doing something that is detrimental to their child's health or abusive or something of that nature. But otherwise, you know, it takes a village, but it takes, it's a, it takes parents first yes. and foremost, and teachers are part of that. I'll yank my kid out of a thing and get rid of a teacher in a heartbeat. There's bad teachers out there and there are bad ideas out there. People are trying to teach your children something you don't want them taught, especially about sex and gender. That's insane. So I love that there's a parent's bill of rights. I love it's embarrassing that there has to be. But parents are the first. I mean, that's who's your biggest teacher always. It's your parents. And and, and I think it should be. And I think the idea that that teachers and administrators would step in there, hide things from parents. I mean, are you insane? How a, a child may be going through a, you, you, if you're a aware parent, you're aware of your children's issues or things or where they, you know, might be different than others. And you're, you, you should be aware of it. Um, and the idea that they could hide things from parents uh, or even talk about like, you know, uh, transitioning or something without the parent, that's insane. You're going to call them by different pronouns. All that stuff has no business in, until really until late high school, college, if you, if even then. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's, they never actually said they'll call it like, oh, they want to ban books now and they'll pull up some obscure book, but they don't actually say, well, this book that teaches your kid how to do oral sex is the one we're trying to keep out. Are you for that? Like, is that what you want in here? And it's like, so they always have a way, almost like I had Governor DeSantis on a podcast here, you know, because he passed that fatherhood bill uh, down in uh, in Florida. But he also had the bill that keeps this stuff out of the classroom. And right away, the only thing people know it as is the don't say gay bill, which it is is nowhere in the document whatsoever. So it's like they have a way of spinning it on you. Well, and, and they also have a complicit media. So when they put it out there, then every other commentator is calling it the don't say gay bill. You know, you repeat a lot enough, it becomes truth. And people believe it. And that's what they do. And they're really, you know, the, the mainstream media has been a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. And I don't know why they would want to do that. I don't understand it. I don't know why the woman of the year is a man. You know, I don't know yeah. why they do that. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. It's not brave. It's not wonderful. I, 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 I don't get it. So that, that kind of stuff, it, it boggles my brain. And there's the, we're allowing them to get away with it. I don't know any people who agree with that. Anyone, left or right. So you, you, I just don't, I don't get it. And then I think we're in for a lot of this, this poor generation. We're going to be in for a lot of really tough stories for kids who did try to transition found that it didn't work. The suicide rate is extremely, I think it's 40% anyway. Uh, I don't see that going down. 
Uh, I'm worried about, you know, introducing these ideas to kids who, who at that age, you know, especially like elementary, junior high school, they're trying to figure out everything. And if you're injecting this stuff into their brain that they never even considered, uh, I, I think it's a recipe for disaster, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I also had uh, the Navy SEAL that transitioned. I had Chris Beck on the show here, and he's somebody that was a Navy SEAL Team 6 guy that was going through severe PTSD, uh, went to go see the VA doctor, and was uh, within one hour of the, their conversation, they were prescribing him hormone changers or whatever they prescribed him, and he started to, to believe that this was something that – so they, they were able to convince him. And now, obviously, he's detransitioned. He's speaking out against it because he feels like he got duped. Like so many of the people who are told this is going to make your life better, very shortly they find out this has not improved my life whatsoever. But they, now it's too late. When you're putting kids on, on puberty blockers, we're, we're talking not, not, not just like it's a sin. This is a crime, what they're doing to, to kids and that they're allowing it to happen. It's, and, and then if you speak out against that you are the one that's the the bigot or 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 a homophobe or a transphobe and it's it's just wild to watch all this take place and i don't know anybody that agrees with it either yeah it is wild to watch that happen but i will i will continue to speak out against it and they can call me all the names they want to governor DeSantis did his job down there they can call him all the names they want to um and you know you get you see these school, school board meetings where someone comes through and starts reading one of the books that they want to ban and they're told, oh, you have to stop. You can't read that stuff in here. That's filth. You're like, well, this is what you're sending my you know, 12-year-old home with. This is what they have access to. Are you out of your mind? This has no business being in the school. You know, and, they're, and they throw out different messages about this, that you know, textbooks change Rosa Parks' race and the blah, blah, blah. What textbook? Where? I mean, they just throw that stuff out there to think it sticks. Um, there's a brawl going on. There's a brawl between parents and and. And administrators who think they know better, and it's going to be there's going to be a big reckoning there. There's going to be a huge reckoning with the folks that they're having transition, who are going to find out that it's not all roses and loveliness there. And um, I think there's going to be humongous lawsuits, and uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And I feel like this is part of the reason why they've tried so hard to separate kids from their parents. You know, I harp on the fatherless problem, but also um, most families, you have both parents who are together. They're both working full time jobs, so they can't have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the school. I've been a class parent for at least one of my kids all throughout their entire school years. And almost every single year, I'm the only father that's a class parent at all these events. And it's and it's not because the dads don't want to be involved. It's just because they, they, they physically have too many other work to do to support the family so that's i think what has led to so much of this is they've gotten the parents out of the way and now they have direct access to do whatever they want on their kids which brings me to this dean is because my oldest now is a junior in high school we're starting to talk about this college thing you're, you're there your son is on the ending uh, side of this it's scary to me just because you know everyone's saying oh well, is your son looking at colleges and it's i'm watching millions of people in this country beg for people, the government to pay off their student loans. So many parents are still paying their own loans while saving for their kids to go to college. And I'm thinking, why in the world would I send my kid in over this uh, cliff that so many other kids have gone? And I'm also worried about the indoctrination that goes on in all these colleges. They come out hating America and, and, and they're anti this. They want to join all these activist groups. Uh, what was you, what was this whole process like for you? What could you say about your son's college experience? Uh, what are these concerns that you had going into it? I had the same exact concerns. Um, he didn't want to go. He was just he never really liked school that much anyway. But you know, college is more than just going to class, and it's all about you know he lived, he goes to school uh, in North Carolina. But it's important to pick the, the correct university. He goes to High Point University. High Point University is a God family country school. There's American flags everywhere. They discuss everything. They're patriotic as can be. You know, so that's a whole different ball of wax there. I mean, the, uh, the president, Nito Cobain, is an immigrant. He is an American success story. He's a, he's a, 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 a well-known speaker. Um, he speaks about things that we talk about here right now. Um, and, and that's the kind of guy he is, and that's the kind of school it is. So even within that school, though, there were still a couple moments where I was like, your professor said what? what? No, 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 no. I don't agree with that at all. And, and then he, But he was able to push back and have his opinion in there. He wasn't being indoctrinated like I see so often in some of these schools. You know, the last thing in the world my son would ever do is think about shouting down a, a speaker. That's incredible. would never happen at that university. So that's important. Fortunately for him, also, I could pay for his school. So he's going to graduate with no loans and he's going to be no debt. 
ready to go out there in the world. I, my dad did that for me, and that was one of the biggest gifts he could give me. Um, this idea is, you know, first of all, we need to get the government out of education in that sense. They need to stop guaranteeing all those loans, put the universities on the, uh, on the hook for it, and the universities will change the way they teach because if they're responsible for those kids getting jobs and doing things afterward, that's the thing. At High Point University, it's called a Life Skills University. They teach you life skills. They've got restaurants there that teach you etiquette. You know, there's a person, there's a waiter who's going to take, you know, you need to put your nap, nap in your lap here, just focus for that. This is the, and they have to go in there, they have to dress for that. Um, they can do it once a week for each different restaurant. And it's pretty great. By the end of it, my son, like, you put him in any situation in a business meeting, no problem. He's, he does it a couple times a week anyway at school. So he knows that. He understands that. He knows how to pitch a project. So they teach those things. So I was very happy that he chose, he chose the school, too with my, my absolute blessing. And it's been an absolute fantastic thing for him. I would worry if he had chosen to go to Berkeley. You know, I, I almost went to Berkeley. I, I went to Princeton. I look at some of the things that are happening in Princeton. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing now? And I, and I disagree with it. And I see some of the professors there who I would just go to loggerheads with. A history professor I could think of in particular that uh, I just, uh, and even the way that person is on Twitter, like what a bully, what a jerk. What is that? You know, I, I don't understand that. So um, there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot to be worried about. I would be concerned if I were you. Consider High Point University. Think about it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, no college is perfect, but I like those things. And, um, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant worry. Unfortunately, my kid got through all this. I worry for the next generation so much more. I really do. There's just so many. You see it, you know, lives of TikTok posts it all the time. Things like that. These people, these teachers talking about my kids. They're not your kids. They're the parents' kids. And they could be your students, but they're not your kids. And you're not there to teach them that stuff. Teach them math. Teach them history. I still remember my favorite teacher, Paul Carey. He was my AP history teacher in high school. One of my, he wrote one of my, he wrote my, one of my two people who wrote my recommendations. He was also a tremendous hurdler, a track athlete. He didn't, he wouldn't coach track, but he coached me. Like he was my favorite guy. He taught me. That's why I became a history major. Um, that, you know, he, you know, when you get a great teacher like that, that's making you really think about things and do stuff. Um, it changes. It changes the world. When you get teachers trying to indoctrinate you, it's you know, it's a whole other ball of wax. And they, that's not their job. It's really not, not their job. The teach you to cri- think critically is important, not to indoctrinate you. Yeah, we're praying heavily over here. Believe me about it right now. And again, going back to Miracle at Manchester, what was so cool was to see this takes place at a Catholic school, to see Catholic school kids and prayer because it's our life. I got kids in Catholic school and it is a part of our life, but it is scary, the whole college thing. And I just I spoke with Damon John, who had a new children's book coming out, came out about this entire thing. He sent me the book. I read it with my daughter. Uh, little Damon learns to earn. It's in introducing kids to the world of financial literacy. And it's like these are the, like, can we get this book? into the classroom somehow like yes. that, that we're all going to need that. So why not get that started at a young age? And I, that's one of the things I try to do with my kids, no matter what career they're going to do, they're going to need to know how to manage money, how to invest money, how to save a dollar. And, and, and it seems like those are the things that are so crucial life skills in a sense. And they're just completely empty. They're, they're nowhere to be found in the young school system. No, but you can learn how to gender transition yeah. uh, and you can learn how to identify everybody by, um, immutable characteristics like race and so on and so forth, and you can play a victim. They teach all that stuff, but they don't. T- that's why I worry for this next generation. I mean, they're going because the harsh reality is that stuff's going to smack them in the face the minute they're out of that, because that's the way it works. Yeah, mind-boggling. I wanted to hit this uh, because I read the uh, interview that you did with the NRA, America's First Freedom. Uh, and I really enjoyed the article and the piece about you, you know, getting involved in guns, being around it and your son shooting. I actually I've been blessed because I've interviewed so many different Navy SEALs that I had. Uh, one of my Navy SEAL friends was able to teach my kids how to shoot a gun. And it was a really great experience for them to learn. But it's another one of these things where we see this attack and it's they turn it into a negative thing. And they say that the NRA profits off of gun violence. And I would I would argue and I wanted to get your take on this. I would argue that Hollywood profits more off gun violence because every movie that they have, uh, they can't seem to make a, a single movie without gun violence. And, and if you, that's profiting from it. Whereas the NRA is in the, in, in the protection family protection business where Hollywood is into the glorifying the gun violence business. What's your take? <laughs> you hit it on the head, my friend. And you know, you, you, you'll, I mean, the, it's exciting to watch those films. I enjoy those films. I've been in a number of films like that. 
Um, it's exciting to watch them. It's great. But yeah, that the NRA doesn't glorify guns. They talk about safety. They got Eddie Eagle, Eddie Eagle programs. They're teaching gun safety, uh, proper storage. But they're really talking about the Second Amendment. You're, you're, that's built into our Constitution. It's a right. You have the right to own firearms and protect yourself. The first thing, if you study history, and again, it goes back to history, the first thing any autocratic leader wants to do is disarm the populace. Why? So that the people who have guns are only the government, and they can come in and tell you what to do, period. And then they're going to go, and, you know, even, even Joe Biden said, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, it's an F-15. First of all, the military is not going to turn against the, the people. I know too many people in the military. You've been talking a lot. They don't turn against the United States citizens. They're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. I'm a law enforcement officer. Law enforcement is not going to turn against people because we have those rights. But the fact that the, the populace can be armed, you go back to what um, the Japanese emperor said during World War II, you can never invade the United States because there will be a rifle behind every blade of grass. Now, people, oh, your, your, your AR-15 isn't going to do anything. If everybody's got an AR-15 and everybody's going to fight you, it does do something. It stops that tyrannical government. Um, so I am all for the Second Amendment. I'm all for gun safety, learning gun safety. Look, the statistics are rough when you talk about deaths by guns, but you got to take out suicide. Suicide is, you know, 80 percent of those gun deaths. Um, it's absolutely tragic whenever anyone is killed um, with a gun, with a run over by a car, any of that sort of stuff, beat with a hammer, whatever it is. It's tragic and it's awful, but it's not the gun doing it. It's the person. There was a school shooting I'm looking at today. Uh, a female shooter came in and shot up a Catholic school uh, or a Christian school in in in, uh, in Tennessee. Um, awful, uh, and she was killed by police who engaged her. And it's awful. I believe in you know I, I know a ton of people that I serve with in law enforcement that are school resource officers. They're uniformed. They're there. They sh there should be there should be more of them around. It, it, and people should be comfortable. Students shouldn't see if someone in a, a, an officer in a uniform and think, oh, my gosh, that's bad. They should think, oh, my gosh, that's great. That's fantastic. And fortunately, sometimes you see these, you know, uh, a school resource officer like doing a dance off, you know, before, with the high school kids. And it's completely loved. This person is completely loved before they're retiring or moving on to another job or something. That's the kind of stuff it should be. And there should be three or four, in my opinion, armed, uh, uniformed school resources school resource officers everywhere. We have the money for it. We do have the money for it. If we have money to give that much to Ukraine, we have enough to have school resource officers around our most prized possession, our children. Wow. Amen, Dean. I love that. And I'm right there with you with four kids right now in the school system. I, nothing makes me happier than to see that type of protection because the common sense thing says if we disarm all of us, the only people that have the weapons are the bad guys. And it just seems like that's not the situation you want to be in. But I always make this point, too. It's like the number of the percentage of homeowners that own guns in this country hasn't changed since the 1972. It's 44 percent. But what's changed is the number of fatherless homes. It's tripled in that amount of time. And that's where the issue is. It's the break down the family not the guns that are the issue and in my opinion and so i wish that uh, i agree with you yeah, I just wish that they would stop because, like i said it makes no sense to disarm the american citizen and leave it to just have the criminals have the guns it's 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 written in our constitution not only does it not make sense it's unconstitutional yeah, 100 percent. And I wanted to get your take here, too, on this. I know you responded to a Jason Whitlock post here and you got hit with a with a tweet uh, that uh, you don't identify as a Japanese uh, American or you don't identify as Japanese. And I'm thinking if that had been any left wing person anywhere, that would have been trending on Twitter that someone came at you with that. Uh, what, what, <laughs> do you get that? All? I, mean, I, don't, I was like, that was mind boggling to me that they would challenge you on that. What was that all about? Twitter is, uh, listen, I love the open exchange of ideas and able to talk to anybody. But, I mean, it's always some random, you know, anonymous troll person saying something absolutely racist and stupid. You know, um, I, get, I get a bunch of crap for changing my name. I was born Dean George Tanaka. I changed my name when I was four years old because I got adopted by a wonderful father whose last name was Kane. Was I supposed to hang on to Tanaka to hang on to my Japanese-ness? Somebody's like, you know, yeah, but you don't, you don't identify as Japanese. You don't, you don't, you know, eat the food or you know, I eat sushi just fine. But I didn't know that side of my family. What am I supposed to do? You know, my friends, you know, called me all kinds of, you know, Asian names growing up. But I, that's one of those things that as friends, my friends are black, white, green, yellow. We used, if you listen to myself and my good friends, one's Iranian, one's black, 
you know, if you listen to us talk to each other, you'd think we hated each other because we're all constantly sniping back and forth and making fun of each other because that's what normal people do. Everything isn't so, um, it, it, there's no reason to be a victim all the time. So, you know, when I got cast as Superman, somebody commented, you know, uh, we wanted Superman, not Sushi Man. Now, I so showed that to my brother, who, who, who is still laughing today at that, because it's so ridiculous. It is so insanely ridiculous. Somebody said, it's the first time this guy's identified as Japanese. I've been open about, first of all, I don't identify as Japanese. I identify as an American, but I am. My, my ethnicity, my, my breakup, according to 23andMe, is a quarter Japanese. Um, Welsh, Irish, English, and French. I mean, that's what it is. That's what my makeup is. Whether I jump up and down about, you know, wave the, you know, the, the rising sun flag or not. I mean, that's insanity. So uh, I never got I never got offended by the term nip um, ever. I mean, I mean, to the point where like my good buddies would like would, we would be sitting around somewhere and they see a, a very, very Asian guy and they go, they tap me and they go, Dad, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, because you have to have a sense of humor about that. Not having a sense of humor about that is, is crazy. Because because you've worked your problems out, I was blessed and fortunate to be, be uh, adopted. Love my dad to death. He is the biggest influence in my life. Not my biological father. He passed away. I never had any contact with him. I don't like the kind of man he was. And said I got a wonderful role model who raised me. Um, but that, it's just so stupid to like this whole like you know let's identify everybody by their race and all that stuff is just and that's like a positive thing now. It's literally the opposite of what we were taught growing up. You know, not seeing color, not caring. My two godkids are half black, half white. And if, if, if anybody says anything to them about I mean, I'm like, laugh at it. If they hear anything, I'm like, no, laugh at it. Because it's ridiculous. If you're no different than anybody else in any way, shape, or form. Oh, by the way, their hair and their skin are like to die for, crazy, perfect. You know, it's awesome. But I mean, the fact that someone wants to pick on them for that, I get picked on all the time for being of Japanese descent. Um, you know, looking Asian and when people get mad or not identifying enough as Asian or whatever it is, you're, you're, or, or for coloring my hair, which I don't do, by the way. Um, but it's just crazy what people make up and go through and do. And it's just, it's, I laugh at it because I find it utterly ridiculous. So um, that whoever wrote that, and it was a bunch of people. Yeah, I saw it. I couldn't believe that. I was like, this is, I, I just know, like, you have someone like Elizabeth Warren who's got uh, about as much American Indian in her as a fountain pen, like, and, and here she is identifying herself as an American Indian. And if you disagree with that or say something about it, it's all over the place that you're racist right. or doing this, but they're openly saying this to you. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Like, it's so, it's so wild to me to watch it on Twitter. It's a double standard and it's ridiculous. My, um, I also came back as, 3.2% or 2.3% Ashkenazi Jew. Then my one buddy, um, who's very, very Jewish, uh, I told him, I go, I go hey, I'm, I think 2.3% Ashkenazi Jew, which is, by the way, Elizabeth Warren was like 0.001%. So I was like, you know, I go, and he goes, oh, I knew it. Now I can tell you the secrets. You know, it was just, it just <laughs> have to, you have to giggle at that stuff and laugh at it and embrace it. But when you use it as a political tool like Elizabeth Warren did, because she had high cheekbones, um, come on. I mean, yeah. come on. It's ridiculous. And you're right. It's an absolute double standard. It's, it's, it's identity politics at its worst, and it, and it only goes one way, and it's just stupid. Yes, I am Japanese. I identify as an American, but a, of my ethnicity is partially Japanese. I've embraced it since forever, and any idiot out there who says otherwise – well, I can't say it on the podcast, but yeah, uh, uh, unbelievable. Uh, so uh, I'm watching all that stuff take place and it, it's just comical to me. I could talk to you all day here, but let me wind this down. Obviously, the Miracle at Manchester streaming on uh, Pure Flix. It seems like your IMDB profile, you've got so many things going on. I don't know how you keep up with all the work that you got, but what's the next thing dropping? I know you mentioned it before. Uh, what, what, do you, what are the what's the next ones coming out for you this year? So the big one that I'm really, really excited about is a movie that I wrote, produced, directed, starred in. I did everything. If you have a problem with the movie, a scene, a shot, it's my fault because I got to make every decision on it. It's a, it's a film called Little Angels, and it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the Mighty Ducks or the Bad News Bears. It's a story of a college football coach who is a little bit crass, a little bit old school, um, and he says something really stupid and sexist, 
and he gets in trouble for it, has to go to uh, sensitivity seminar, which, of course, he doesn't like, um, and he has to go to uh, community service, which they end up making him coach under 13-year-old girls soccer. He hates soccer. He hates kids, doesn't want to do it, but through working with these kids and other outside sort of force things, he ends up really appreciating them for who they are um, as athletes. Um, there are no boys competing on the girls' team. Um, it is as athletes, and he gets to see these young athletes and, and help teach them how to be a team, and it turns into a wonderful story. Um, and the girls are great. The, the, my actors are so good, uh, and the story's fun. All my surrounding actors are great. So it's called Little Angels. We should be coming out this summer. Hopefully, uh, I'm hoping for July. Uh, we're talking about the dates now. July release. It's going to come out in theaters, and then uh, and then we'll be everywhere else after that. Uh, it should, should coincide with the Women's World Cup this year, which again there will be no male athletes or, or no trans women competing in that, and there shouldn't be when you consider that the U.S. Women's National Team, which are a powerhouse and they're fantastic athletes, lost to a Texas team of under 15, 15 and under boys team. There's a difference between male and female anatomy and power and lung capacity and strength. And we need to acknowledge that and let women compete with women and let men compete with men. Um, and so this doesn't touch on that at all, but I'm sure my interviews will at some point in time. But this is a wonderful family story. There's a little small faith element in it um, where I'm not banging anybody over the head with it. Um, but it's really about team and family and and the ability to sort of change. And and it's a, it's a lovely story. I'm super proud of it. I can't wait for the world to see it. Little Angels. Yes. Little Angels. It sounds awesome. And just like you said before, when you say it's embarrassing that we even have to have a parent's bill of rights, just the fact that you have to say there's no men playing on the women's team. Like, <laughs> what, what have we gotten to here where it's like, and I don't know, again, it's another one of these issues where whenever I talk to anybody, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, nobody agrees that there should be a man playing in a woman's sport. I, so where are all these people? I only see them on TV. I, ne- I never see these people in real life that think, oh, yeah, but my son should be allowed to play on the girls team. I, I don't get it. Where are all these people? Uh, they're sitting in some administration position quietly behind the scenes. There's Sam Brinton, you know, the guy who steals all the, uh, the, the nuclear guy who steals all the luggage, you know, and, and where's it? Yeah. <laughs> There's folks like that. Or that Admiral Rachel Levine, who is, you know, the number two person in health and human services or whatever that is. But those sorts of folks, that's that. Those are the people that are doing this. That I, I don't I don't care. She's not woman of the year. I don't care what you say. Rachel Levine is not woman of the year. Not, not and, and Leah Thompson, Thomas is not the female athlete of the year in NCAA. No way. You know, that stuff is just there. But there are people in, in administrative positions up there um, who are making those decisions. And, and then there's a then there's a, a mainstream media that supports it. And then we all have to sort of eat it. Well, I'm not swallowing that. It ain't happening. I will speak out against it till I'm blue in the face. Yeah, I, I, I think you should. And I'm glad that you do, because it doesn't. And again, I, I don't I don't I can't believe that more women aren't just, uh, just up in arms over this. I mean, it's really well, it's gonna destroy female athletics. Yeah, 100 percent. Open division. Everybody compete against everybody. Great. There will be no female athletes. And, you know, Serena Williams or Venus Williams, I forget who which, one, which Williams sister it was. One of the greatest tennis players of all time, female tennis players said, I can't. There's no way I could compete against the men. There's no way they're just stronger and faster and. That then they have better lung capacity. They, there's no way. She said it openly. Now, what more? What more do you need than that? You take the top level women athletes. They'll say, no way do I want to compete against top level male athletes. There's no chance. When they have in the Olympics, they have the mixed like four by four hundred. You know, you'll see that the mile relay. You'll see yeah. that happen. And then uh, sometimes there'll be a, a female athlete running against the male athlete. Looks like she's going backwards, and she's going yeah. flats because these guys can just. Why? At the top level, there's no competition. But but even no. with, even with even with youth sports, Dean, like you know, my daughter now is playing yeah. soccer. Like you you have like a fourth four year old, five year old. It's always co-ed because they're all at the same level. They're four year old, five year old. Once you get six and then seven, eight, they separate. It's now it's seven year old boys, seven year old girls, eight year old boys. Because now the levels are complete. And it would you, your daughter would be getting smoked in these games. So it, it's it wouldn't be fair. So they separate them for a reason. And it, again, it's it's just amazing that we're even talking about stuff like this. It, it, how how far we have fallen. Even when I was at the, the Super Bowl this year, they have the bathrooms and I go the male, female, gender neutral. Like who are who are using this gender neutral bathroom? What woman wants to go share I mean, a bathroom with a man? I'd go in there in a pinch. 
you know, but <laughs> right. That, that's what would happen. Right. But what woman wants to say, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. Let me go in here and hope, so, you know, share a bathroom with a dude. I don't if get I had it. a little girl, it was time to go to the bathroom. You know, I mean, if I take her in the bathroom, I would take her in the men's room, a little kid. But that's the kind of thing, you know, that's different. That's a child. That's a little child. But there's no way. There's no way. It's not. It just opens that world for too many too many of these sexual predators and, and the baloney and, and, you know, I mean, like Leah Tom, Thomas, there's, you know, reports of her, uh, you know, in, in the locker room, but completely naked, changing, you know, in front of the girl. I mean, the, there's something going on there that, that, that ain't right. And, and that we shouldn't be having this conversation. It's ridiculous. Um, and I think it's a, again, it's, I think it's one of those pendulum things. We've gone so far to the side and we all are looking at it and going, this is ridiculous. Let's have some common sense. Let's have some decency, and let's let's create boundaries. Yeah, um, it, it is, and I, I have like I said, my daughter's eight, and I couldn't even imagine you know this happening where there's a, a guy using the same bathroom. It, to me, uh, I, 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 again, it, I, I don't know I, 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 enough on it. But uh, l- let me move it on here. I've kept you almost an hour. Let me get you. I know I've hit you with this a few times before, but let's see what you got for us today. Last thing I'll hit you with, I love to ask all the dads, what kind of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Well, I tell you, patience is the key. Patience is number one because you'll be tried so many times. Um, you get frustrated. You get angry. Patience because, you know, a harsh word from a dad um, can – I've seen it when I was, was too quick with my kid. And I just saw his whole face drop and his heart break and, um, you know, tears come down. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, and, and you have to be able to be patient with yourself as a parent too. know that you're not going to be perfect. But try to be patient with your children. Be patient with yourself. Um, and, you're, you know, know that you're going to make mistakes. But be there. Be there. Be in their lives. Know their friends. Play video games with them. Whatever they're doing, be with them. That's the best thing you can do as a parent is be there and be with them. My son knows. I mean, he called, he woke me up this morning because he's in the East Coast. He wakes me up. He wakes me up. Oh, sorry, Dad, are you sleeping? I'm like, yeah, it's freaking seven o'clock in the morning. I don't have to go to work today. Why wouldn't I be asleep? I'm sleeping beautifully. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, no. Now that I'm now that you're on the phone, I'm happy. I just want to talk to you. You know, that's it. But uh, you know, he, he knows that I'm there for him whenever my phone rings. And one, it's, it never rings. It's always on silent. Except one, I, you can program it so one can go. Only he can call me at any point in time, and that's and that's it. I'm there. I'm there for him. So as a parent, I say be there. That's number one. Wow, awesome! I, I love the message. It's an honor as always, Dean. I love what you stand for and what you do and who you are. Honored to know you, and thank you for giving me a few minutes of time or your time here on First Class Fatherhood. The feeling is completely mutual, my friend. Continued success. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.